If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we're continuing our team preview series with a look at the AFC East. That's right. We got Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets talk coming up. When I say we, if I have said we, I am now. I am joined, as always, with Andrew Erickson at Andrew Erickson underscore on Twitter. You can find all of his fabulous work over at PFF.com. Andrew, we're going back to back here. We just did NFC East. It is still raining at Myrtle Beach, so I'm happy to continue talking fantasy football with you, my friend. Yeah, man, anything to get away from what's going on in Giants camp, I'm definitely great to talk about it because I took I took the over in the Giants in the earlier podcast. I already feel terrible about it. We had like three mid like horrific tweets come up about this Giants practice recording this on a Tuesday, right? As we were going through the NFC East pod, <laughs> fingers crossed that that curse doesn't continue into any of these AFC East squads. So as always, we'll be going through these four teams, asking a defining question, their most underutilized player, fair fantasy value, wild card scenario, and end things with an over under pick odds and win totals courtesy of the always great DraftKings Sportsbook. So Andrew, let's kick things off with the Buffalo Bills. Defining question, what do you got? My defining question is Josh Allen. Can he continue to be an elite fantasy quarterback in 2021 after he took a massive leap last year, basically breaking all types of efficiency metrics, accuracy numbers. They said it couldn't be done. Josh Allen said, no, hold my beer. I will become an accurate quarterback. And he did exactly that. Getting Stefan Diggs obviously helped a lot, but just looking at his production, 23.3 expected fantasy points per game, highest at the position. And honestly, his touchdown rate, 6.5%, that's it's not that's not unrepeatable. Yeah. Like it wasn't an absurd touchdown rate we, we see from like an Aaron Rodgers or even Tom Brady last year, where it's like north of eight or nine percent, where it's like, okay, it's easy to look at them, label them as a touchdown regression candidate. So Again, the only regression that I could potentially see happening is the rushing. Again, the past three seasons, he's had at least 400 rushing or at least eight rushing touchdowns in his past three seasons. He's over in terms of the rushing touchdown production. It's been over expectation. So again, if he signs a contract and it's like, hey, man, I'm going to make a business decision. I don't really want to run as much anymore. Like I could see that happening, which could technically limit his ceiling a bit. But when all, all else fails, like the di- the dude is still going to go off and run. I mean, he's a massive runner. He's still going to use his legs to some capacity. If it's four rushing touchdowns instead of eight, I'm sure that he'll probably end up making it up with more passing touchdowns because this offense just doesn't care about running the ball. Like they don't really give a, they don't care about running the football. So as long as the offense continues to throw at the rate that they did last year, you have Sean McDermott coming back. You have Brian Dable coming back. We talk about the Buccaneers and how all of their guys are returning. I mean, 
the Bills are pretty much bringing everybody back sans John Brown in for Emmanuel Sanders. So I, I don't know, like, should we, I think we should expect Josh Allen to continue to be one of these top five fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah. And even before Josh Allen got amazing in real life, like we saw in 2020, this guy has always been a great fantasy quarterback. That's why we were telling you to draft him before he went the hell off last year, 2018, when he got in towards the end of the year was the QB one during the final stretch of the year. And then just QB 19 again, even though he wasn't a great quarterback yet in real life, and he hadn't even thrown for 300 yards, we still saw him posting top 10 numbers just because of this insane rushing upside. He's always brought over the past three years. Here are the players with 25 plus rushing touchdowns. Derrick Henry, Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Melvin Gordon, Christian McCaffrey, and Josh freaking Allen. I don't know if he can score eight rushing touchdowns every single year. The Bills have not been afraid to utilize him in this facet of the game, though. Obviously, I know you can never take you know, the full YOLO DJAF mode out of Josh. He's always going to, you know occasionally feel the need to throw a pass to double covered fullback downfield in a wild card game, maybe lateral, you know, the ball with under two minutes left in the fourth quarter, even though he can rein that in to some extent, I could see the bills just taking a small step back though, because as much as scrambling is a part of his game, the only guys we've seen with more designed rush attempts inside the 10 yard line among quarterbacks over the past three years, Cam Newton. And I believe Lamar Jackson was the only other guy. So Josh, you know, Again, nine potential nine figures worth of reasons why you shouldn't be taking quite as many hits in the future. But even if we just say a little bit touchdown regression in the rushing, like you said, that 6.5 touchdown rate through the air could go up. So Josh Allen, while I have bumped him behind Lamar Jackson in my QB ranks, still anyone's idea of a top three signal caller in pretty much any fantasy football format you want to look at. Andrew, most underutilized player. We talked to some Gabe Davis. Yeah, talking Gabe Davis, and it sucks because I want to hear the hype about Gabe Davis at a Bills camp, but I can't stop talking about Emmanuel's 34-year-old Emmanuel Sanders who's just melting faces up in the Northeast. So I don't know what's happening with, with Gabe Davis. Apparently, they don't necessarily view him as this locked and loaded starter. The Cole Beasley situation could potentially bail us out and be like, yes, like this is perfect. Like, this is exactly what we needed. Beasley retires. We have Gabriel Davis coming in and starting three receiver sets alongside Emmanuel Sanders and Stefan Diggs. So as a Gabriel Davis stand, that would be the ideal situation. But for now, he's still a late round flyer because of the upside he produces. He should be that downfield threat potentially for the Buffalo Bills. 17.3 ADOT last year, seventh highest in the NFL. And Emmanuel Sanders hasn't posted a high, an A dot higher than 13 since 2016. So I don't think there's going to be an overlap in terms of usage, but it's going to depend on that's going to make his production more volatile. How many targets is he going to get per game? So right now, Gabriel Davis was going pretty farly ahead of Emmanuel Sanders. I know I've adjusted my rankings a little bit. I bumped up Emmanuel Sanders a little bit just because it seems like he's going to be the main starter. And at least for the beginning of the season, he might, he might be the guy that you actually want to have more than the Gabriel Davis, but we'll see again, 34 years old. How long does that last in the tank towards the end of the year? Again, Gabriel Davis, don't necessarily be over aggressive trying to get him because he may be literally be doing nothing to start the year, but he's someone to keep monitoring on snaps continue to go up. He's someone to definitely look after the second half of the year. Manny, the Manny Sanders hype is ridiculous. He's going ahead of Cole Beasley on underdog now. <laughs> and like, I think Sanders has some good practices, but it seems like the bigger topic was where he was saying like Josh Allen has had, you know, made some throws that he's like never seen before. And it's like, that's, that's great. But we know Josh Allen, he's made throws I've never seen before either Emmanuel. And while Manny Sanders is not washed and he's been, you know, was still good with the saints last year, just like he was good with the 49ers and Broncos before them. It is, you know, curious to me that we've swung so far 
far in his direction after, you know, just a week's worth of training camp practices when the incumbent slot receiver that's seen triple digit targets over the, each in the past two years is now going as almost a wide receiver four in his own offense. So we'll see, you know, I know the vaccination angle is something we weren't exactly considering uh, a couple months ago when looking at this <laughs> bill's wide receiver room. It is a factor we need to look at. I just, you know, I, I have been happy to get Cole Beasley at a, a huge discount over the past few weeks. I will say that we have a Gabriel Davis. I, he's like the latest guy. I just, people want to just dismiss him and saying, Oh, he well, he'll regress this year. He won't be as good as he was last year. Can we just take a moment to say like, damn, this guy was good last year. It wasn't luck. You don't get 599 yards and seven touchdowns, only 62 targets by being bad at football. And you know, one of the things I do throughout the season I love saying sheesh, but it actually does kind of have a plan during while watching football games, which I do go back through. And even if it's NFL game pass condensed, watch every single snap of every single game. And I'll do sheesh alerts to basically show these beyond the box score situations where maybe there could have been a touchdown, but we, you wouldn't know it if you just looked at the box score and just from searching Gabriel Davis last year, he had a 53 yard overthrown score in December, 40 yard touchdown against the Patriots that they said Belichick call a timeout before it actually happened. I even think I'm missing another one or two nullified touchdowns. So seven scores last year could have easily been nine, dare I say, even 10. And hey, even if it's not going to be this year, we're still looking at an offense where it's Stefan Diggs and then it's two wide receivers on the very wrong side of 30. And we can see Gabe Davis being Josh Allen's number two pass game option as early as 2022. So maybe not 2021 is the time to go all in. But man, if there's a guy to buy low on in Dynasty right now, might just be Mr. Gabriel Davis. Now, Andrew, we got to talk favorite fantasy value. We talking running back? Dude, Zach Moss yes, yes. is my most owned running back on underdog fantasy. So I'm I'm pretty much all in on the Josh Allen's going to take a business decision this year. He's not going to run at the goal line nearly as much because that's what I'm banking on with Zach Moss. I'm chasing the potential that he stays healthy and he leads the team in goal line carries because that's what he did last year. So when Zach Moss was healthy, he led the team and carries inside the five yard line. He led the team and carries inside the 10 yard line. So there is a role in this offense where they do want to use the running backs at the goal line. Cause it even happened the year prior in 2019 with Frank Gore leading the team and carries inside the five yard line. It was not Josh Allen. Again, they use Josh Allen at the goal line because of the way that he he's been really efficient scoring touchdowns. But as we talked about during the Allen spiel, it's that may not be the case here in 2021. They may change things up a bit, want to protect their quarterback that they may lock up long-term. Like they're not going to try to run him nearly as much if he's there signs like a $500 million contract extension or whatever they do. So that's one point I really like about Moss. And the other thing about Moss that's really encouraging as well. So he was PFF's highest graded pass blocker on true pass sets last season, which at least indicates to me, he has an opportunity to see more snaps on third down. Like that was the biggest thing with him in Singletary last year is that when they played together, it was Singletary kind of using more on third down usage. Moss really wasn't. He was really seeing more of the goal line work and early down rushes. So that's one thing that Moss could potentially then capitalize on and capture a three down role. I know that there's some coach speak about Devin Singletary, but I'm not super, super excited about him. I'll talk about him a little bit later on, but I just think that the running backs on this team are just under undervalued because we know this offense is going to be good. It's going to be like a top five offense. And most of the time running backs that come from top five offenses are good. So last year, it really feels to me more like an outlier season where it's like, we got zero running back production. If the bills are just as great an offense as they are last year, this year, I think we're going to see way more from the running backs. And that's why I'm buying Zach Moss as a round 10 pick. Like if you're going zero RB, which I did in a super flex draft, Zach Moss, 10th round was first running back. I took, so we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, and I think the reason why we're writing off Devin Singletary here is we've seen what happens to Singletary in a best-case scenario, and it's either in the past two years when Frank Gore or Moss was missing time, they'd, they would elevate TJ Yeldon, who was usually a healthy scratch, and when they had their top two running backs healthy. So they elevate Yeldon, and I would split work, or Singletary would actually get like this 80% snap rate, but he'd be getting like five <laughs> to 10 combined carries and targets. Like they just don't feel the need to feed him the football, even if he's a capable player to have out there. So I guess the wild card is like, could Matt Breida be anything? I don't really think so. He's getting a little bit of training camp buzz, just a classic, you know, show off his speed and quickness through the first four days works well in tight spaces bunch of things that you're talking about a running back not even in pads yet and it's like really we have this many takeaways already the biggest thing for me with moss if he was going as like an rb2 which he definitely could achieve if he gets even a fraction of the goal line work that we're trying to look for i believe you had that awesome stat like frank gore easily led this offense in 2019 goal line carries yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there, there's a path that we've seen before where the running back leads the team and goal line carries and that gives Zach Moss a, a potential for double digit touchdowns. If you're in a high scoring offense, it's not ideal to have the mobile quarterback, but I think people will be surprised to see Kenyon Drake was one of three running backs to have at least 20 carries inside the five yard line last year as well, even though Kyler was there. So we have that in Moss's potential range of outcomes. I'm not saying it's likely, but when he's going outside the top 30 running backs, like that's an okay situation to take a bet on. Last year, Singletary finished as the RB32. In 2019, he was the RB33. In 2018, LaShawn McCoy was the RB39. We've always been chasing these guys from the wrong side. Singletary was like a borderline RB2 in these past year's drafts. Now we can get Moss, the favorite, and this is coming out of from even the Athletics' own Joe Buscalgia in terms of looking at the you know backfield from a less biased, like just Buffalo Bills beat writer perspective. Zach Moss is the guy that could take over. We can buy him at the floor from what we've been expecting to see from Bills running backs. And yeah, if Josh Allen doesn't score eight rushing touchdowns every damn year and for the rest of the time, we're going to see the RB1 eventually have some good numbers inside of anyone's idea of a top five offense. So I'm with you, Zach Moss, the late round RB for 2021. Andrew, so far we've, uh, we're on the same page with the first three. What's your wild card scenario? I think this is where we go off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to just highlight some of devil Devin Singletary, just because I am so invested in Zach Moss. I do realize there is a scenario where, you know, it, Zach Moss has dealt with injuries. Like that's been his big issue. He has dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career, through his college career. So he does get banged up. Devin Singletary is the next man up and he has gotten some good coach speak about how they're looking forward to seeing him in his third year. And again, he hasn't been great these past two seasons, but he does have some accolades that are pretty impressive. He ranks fifth in 15 plus yard rushes, sixth in missed tackle rate force per touch since 2019. So he's done some things right. And he does possess pass catching chops. So again, it's not ideal. He's been less than effective as a bell cow back in the role that he's gotten. But in the games without Moss last year, he saw 75% snap share, 77% of the team's running back opportunities, 14.6 touches per game. So again, if you're looking for a late round flyer, I don't think Singletary is the worst pick. Again, I like Moss and I'm willing to pay a little bit more for Zach Moss. I think that he's a more complete back, but there are worse picks that you could use with than Devin Singletary in the later rounds of drafts. 
Yeah, Singletary is like going almost after the handcuffed here at this point. I mean, no, I don't really want Singletary on my team, but when you can get him in like the RB40 range when you only have two running backs on your roster by that point anyway, worse guys to snag. My wild card scenario is that Cole Beasley, again, just makes great use of his opportunities. I mean, this guy has seen triple-digit targets back-to-back years. Manny Sanders is there to take Gabriel Davis's, you know, perceived starting job with John Brown now out of the pictures. Cole Beasley, he said it himself, like amidst all this nonsense, he's been spewing he did say like i'm one of the best slot receivers in the nfl and he is correct and he's not you know people love just look at the small white slot receiver even you know your jameson crowder and just say like hey there's no upside he's a small slot receiver that's just not true people when josh allen is your quarterback beasley had five games with at least 100 receiving yards last year so quit telling me you're only getting like five catches and 45 yards out of him beasley actually has a ceiling he's been one of the nfl's best starting slot receivers and right now Every single reason why he is being, you know, as cheap as he is in fantasy football land has nothing to do with his actual ability to play football. So hey, if you want to make some moral stand and just not draft Beasley because of this, you know, more power to you, I would, you know, take a long look at the first, you know, two or three rounds of most fantasy drafts and look at some of the other character concerns, you know, certain running backs and wide receivers have as well. So Cole Beasley, man, again, if you just look at pure, like what receivers can we expect to get a hundred targets and who are the cheapest ones in fantasy drafts, Cole Beasley is topping a lot of those lists takes us right into the over under over 11 is set at minus 110. So pretty much just uh, even here, you know, I'm not taking the under, I think 11 is a pretty good number. So gun to my head, I will go over. What say you? I'm going to also go over here. The AFC is pretty weak in general. Like the conference is not super strong. I think the NFC is much stronger and you look at the teams that they're playing this year. So they got the two South divisions. So you have a Colts team that is deteriorating as we speak, (laughs) that they get to play and they play the AFC South or they play the NFC South as well. So you have saints with question marks, quarterback Panthers, question marks, quarterback, how, how good would the Falcons be? So there's a lot of question marks with the teams that are playing to play in the AFC East, which again, no established quarterback. So I think that the 11 is a good number there. I mean, I just kind of looked through their schedule pretty quickly. I was like, yeah, you know, that's a W it's a W yeah, they'll, they'll get to 11 wins. I like the connection too with Brian Dable, Sean McDermott, like Brian Dable, still have no idea how the guy didn't got zero head coach interest. Like how the fact that they were able to keep him for another year is just going to add more fuel to the fire for Josh Allen. Like if he had, if he had, if he had left, then I think there'd be more to the, okay, Josh Allen's going to regress. Like he doesn't have Brian Dable. Like I could probably get behind that a little bit more kind of like a Tannehill thing, but at the same time, it's like, well, he's back. So like we we really shouldn't expect anything else, but from what we saw last year. So I'm taking over. Looking at the Buccaneers offense, like, okay, maybe they just aren't quite as good because it's hard to be that good two years in a row, but you'd be hard pressed to find a real reason because everyone is freaking back. So over 11 wins for the Buffalo Bills. I don't like it. I love it. Miami Dolphins next up. Defining question. Let's let's talk some Tua, Andrew. Is he going to be the guy in Miami this time next year? Or are we looking at someone that just doesn't have what it takes to be an NFL quarterback? I do think that it's going to be Tua long-term. He dealt with a lot of similar issues that Daniel Jones dealt with last year. Again, he had really bad receivers. He was throwing to Lynn Bowden, Keen Grant, a bunch of these dudes that were just not NFL caliber talent necessarily that wasn't elevating his play. The offensive line struggled and he was coming off hip surgery. He also didn't know the playbook. So there's like, there's a bunch of reasons why we saw Tua struggle as a rookie. So I think that he deserves another chance to get an opportunity to be the starting quarterback. They have an offense now that they're building around him. Like they have two offensive coordinators, which I don't really know how that works, but they have two offensive coordinators that are the masterminds behind this two offense, which I think we're going to see more taking advantage of 
players underneath using more yards after the catch is what really did at Alabama. That's why he was saw a lot of success because he was just distributing the ball to the playmakers last year. The problem was they didn't have any playmakers, so it didn't really work as well. Now they have a fuller, they have Jalen Waddle, just hoping that those guys get healthy and on the field. That's a big, that's a concern. And then the offensive line is obviously pretty questionable still as well. They obviously drafted the guy in the second round, Liam Eienberg. So hopefully the offensive line is a little bit better, but yeah, I'm not out on to it. I think he's worth a late round throw as a late round quarterback. I just hope some of these receivers can stay healthy for this guy. So we're yeah. already getting reports, you know, Parker, Fuller, even Jalen Waddles, you know, limp. That might just be the way he walks. Like every single one of these guys is seemingly banged up. And, you know, if you look at what Tua was dealing with last year, I, I know Fitzpatrick outplayed him in the same situation. We brought that up on the NFC East pod, but you still got to give the guy some benefit of the doubt when these were his receivers that he targeted uh, once he took over the starting job. Devontae Parker, Lynn Bowden, Jakeem Grant, Matt Collins, Isaiah Ford, Malcolm Perry, Preston Williams, Antonio Callaway. Like, come on, people. You probably didn't know half of those players I just listed. And those were who Tua was expected to throw the football to. Had numerous instances. You know, Jakeem Grant letting the ball hit him in the freaking face mask from 45 yards out against the Bengals. Several good throws against the Chiefs that didn't go Tua's way. We saw flashes of him and enough to make me think that he could take a nice step forward this year. Tua or Daniel Jones as a late-round QB, Andrew? I'm going to lean towards Daniel Jones because of the, I think he's got more rushing juice is really the, is the deciding factor for me. And I said, too, it can't run at all. I mean, he moved a little bit last year. And again, the hip injury could have been the reason why he wasn't running as much, but I know Daniel Jones is in fight or flight. He's, he's flying as soon as he can, he gets the opportunity to run. I would go with Tua, but that's a fair point. Even going back to Alabama, I mean, Tua has always been a guy that can run, but looks to pass, which, hey, that's a great strategy to be a professional NFL quarterback, which is his ultimate goal, not necessarily what we look for in fantasy land. You know, hopefully Will Fuller just takes this offense to another level. Hopefully every week will be Will Fuller week again in 2021 because people, Deshaun Watson career, 8.8 yards per attempt with Will Fuller, 7.6 without. Even DeAndre Hopkins, he averaged 1.4 additional fantasy points per game with fuller than without even though he had more targets game without the even though he had more targets per game without fuller in the picture because speed kills few receivers have more of it than mr will fuller takes us right into our most underutilized player i'm not going will fuller i will mention one of those players with the targets lynn bowden it's unfortunate that he's probably going to be you know maybe even on the roster bubble if the albert wilson uh chatter out of training camp and i think andrew will be talking more about albert wilson here in a minute if that chatter is you know anything close to being true then bowden's going to be potentially on the outside looking in of the top four top five receivers but man he was as fun to watch last year the way they used him as a running back wildcat quarterback at times and just there's starting slot receiver down the stretch overall was one of just five players to force at least 0.3 missed tackles per touch among 232 qualified players the ppr rb 26 over the final five weeks of the year because for some reason they're still labeling labeling him as an rb i mean Bowden was one of my favorite draft picks in the final round of best ball drafts before uh you know the draft happened and we saw them get waddle and then also fuller in a free agency because of this discrepancy i mean pass catching running backs are the closest thing to dual threat quarterbacks that we have to cheat codes in fantasy football land that's exactly what we have in Bowden. if someone can get out of the picture in this wide receiver room i don't see it happening i'm just saying people if Lem Bowden can be out there in the preseason you know get some popcorn because you're about to see a treat this guy is good at the game who you guys the most underutilized player, Andrew? 
it would be absolutely wild if Lynn Bowden came out week one starting running back for the Miami Dolphins. Oh, it's like they, did, they like they did to us last year with Miles Gaskin. We're like, yeah, it's Jordan Howard, it's Matt Breida. It's like, no, you're all wrong. It's it's Miles Gaskin. And then this year it's going to be Lynn yeah, Bowden. That'll be, be that'll be freaking wild. Uh, for me, I just want to talk about a player that I'm kind of projecting towards the next season. So Jalen Wall, I want to highlight him here. So last year, two of his receivers created at least one step of separation on just 58% of his attempts, which was fourth worst in the league. He had nobody that could really gain separation. We talked about bringing in Will Fuller, his impact on the offense. And I think that Waddle really fits this offense well as well. Bring in yards after the catch. He's one of the best yards after the catch receivers in this draft class. One of the best slot receivers in this draft class. And you talked about how Lynn Bowden was an effective slot wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. Tua leaned on him a lot. We could see that from Jalen Waddle if they really hyper-targeted him in this offense. Look, I know we talked about Devontae Smith on the last podcast. Waddle out produced him in the games they played last year. He had more receiving yards, and he actually had more receiving yards in the four-game span than he had in the eight games prior altogether. So he has explosive upside. I'm hoping that the injury is not a long-term concern. And you're hoping that they drafted him in the top 10 for a freaking reason. Like don't make this Henry Ruggs. Like I don't want that to happen. Like I think that Waddle was a better prospect than Henry Ruggs, but I do see people drawing the comparisons to the two players, like not super mega producers at the college level because they played with high level talent, you know, speed specimens, so I really want them to use Waddle as an actually featured wide receiver in the offense, not like a Henry Ruggs, which oh, he's just a deep threat. You know, he's just doing this and that. Like, I really want them to feature Waddle. And look, man, Will Fuller is out week one. Jalen Waddle is 3.4K on DraftKings against the Patriots. And I'm really intrigued. Here's why Jalen Waddle is falling in drafts right now. It's from one freaking article where this is how it started. Miami Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddle had a minor scare Thursday. He went down in a heap after adjusting for a pass from Tua and needed a few moments to get up. It was a false alarm, nothing major. And he kept on practicing. The last thing Waddle needs is an injury. Like, yeah, I agree. The last thing any player needs is an injury. But Jalen Waddle, man, like it's we legit have evidence of this dude just kind of walking like he's slipping sometimes he's not the only person to do this can we just accept that Jalen Waddle is a swaggy guy and he might just walk a little bit cooler than you or I do Andrew like it's not the craziest thing out there and okay if he was being limited out there if he wasn't practicing because of this injury that's an issue but when I type in Jalen Waddle on Twitter the first result is from an hour ago and it says Jalen Waddle just ran the nastiest of routes and one-on-ones put his man in the spin cycle you go through every single training camp report right now it's Jalen Waddle making one play after another but we have one beat writer saying that he took a little while to get up after falling to the ground and that's why we're assuming he's not healthy like I don't know you think the Dolphins would have used a number six overall pick on a receiver that they just knew wasn't going to be healthy by week one doesn't quite add up to me Andrew and hey again it's all about cost if he was going as you know where Jamar Chase is and we had to draft this dude as a wide receiver too, that clearly be a problem. He's not, he's going as a freaking wide receiver four and a wide open wide receiver room. I think Fuller and Waddle are both undervalued and either one of them could lead the way. But Waddle's the one that I think based on the offense we saw last year and some of the more quick hitting, uh, you know, throws all the stuff that Bowden was getting should feasibly be Waddle ahead of 2021. So yeah, I mean, just with Waddle's potential upside, man, and where he's going in drafts, you can get this guy like the double digit rounds. And I just think the upside uh, is well worth the risk, which again, seems to be more 
based on a paragraph where it, the ending of the paragraph is great news. He's not injured. He's fine. He's still practicing. So again, when we see real life, you know, concern with, Hey, you know, we're not playing Waddle yet because we're, you know, worried about the ankle. That's when we'll worry about the injury, but don't give me this fell down in practice and took a couple extra seconds to get up BS come on people. So don't be holding this against Waddle any more than we would against these other guys. I mean, if you're really moving Waddle down because of that, then Galladay should be shooting down because we got some other random injury note about him leaving practice today. So it's very difficult over this month when we finally got football reports coming in, but just remember nothing is official without these injury reports. So please don't be freaking out people. And we're getting that right now, Andrew, because Quentin Nelson is uh, landing on the IR. And now I'm seeing people saying they won't touch Jonathan Taylor in the first two rounds of fantasy drafts because of a guard. So, you know, we won't spend the whole podcast on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, but please just don't, don't let one thing change the entire opinion of a player that you've been, you know, already trying to figure out for the past five, six months. So not saying we shouldn't evaluate new information as it comes in. Just uh, this is, you know, peak overreaction time on Twitter. Everyone wants to have the hottest take about the smallest of things. Don't be that guy. If you can't avoid it, but Andrew, are you with me? I'm Jalen Waddle being the prime fantasy value here. Yes. I, yeah, I think Jalen Waddle is the prime fantasy value here. Again, like you mentioned, Will Fuller too. Will Fuller's wide receiver 43 on underdog ADP. And he, what he was eighth in fantasy points per game last year in basically a career season, a 33rd and expected fantasy points per game. So again, even if he just is average, like he's 33rd in fantasy points per game. Okay. That's already 10 spots ahead of his ADP. And we know that he's a good player. Like we've seen him elevate to Sean Watson. Sean Watson averaged three fantasy points per game more because Will Fuller was on the field. So we know he's a good player. He's going to put up fantasy numbers like he's done whenever he's been healthy. So yeah, these Miami Dolphins receivers, again, we talked about being higher on Tua and that he can take a step forward in this offense because he's finally healthy and he's less to concern. He's an offense built around his strengths. And they've already talked about how they want to highlight the deep ball more, which Tua wasn't even that bad at last year. He's because he had terrible deep ball receivers last year. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker were his deep threat receivers. And they both graded out as outside the top 50 in terms of PFF receiving grade on targets of 20 plus yards downfield. So adding a Will Fuller, who was a top 10 in that category last year, I just think that it's a match made in heaven for this Dolphins offense to exceed expectations and going both the top two wide receivers on the roster going outside the top 40 is, is blasphemy. Yeah, seriously, just far too cheap. And I know uh, our guy, Josh Norris over at underdog uh, fantasy has been beating the drum to take Will Fuller. Certainly looks like even a more discounted version to an extent of what Stefan Diggs was going into last year with the bills. We have a proven legit, great, Football player, a wide receiver one, and Will Fuller going closer to wide receiver four territory. Bye, 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 everybody. Takes us right to our wild card scenario. Miles Gaskin, Andrew, might just be the featured three down back in Miami that we uh, refuse to really give his due in that role. Uh, Salvin Ahmed, from what I saw yesterday, might have suffered a non-contact injury. Again, we don't know the full details of any of these injuries, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but that would be major. And it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't drafting uh, Gaskin because of Salvin Ahmed to begin with. Just more of an issue, like, I don't know, just in that RB dead zone. Again, I've been more willing to take higher-ranked wide receivers in that range. But looking at what 
what Gaskin did last year, man. I mean, he was legit getting fed before he got hurt and had to miss uh, four games in the middle of the year. He comes back from injury and he kept getting fed. We don't have any recent evidence of Gaskin being on the field and not handling a pretty damn fancy friendly three down workload. Is he a guy that we should be getting around to more? Or do you think he's still just in that Mike Davis, Chase Edmonds tier where like, yeah, you know, he's not awful, but we're also not going out of our way to get him in fantasy drafts. I have him in that tier with those players, like where I have my running backs ranked. So, cause I understand like the bucket that they're in is kind of similar that they're like on paper, it like looks really good, but there's always a concern like, Oh, like maybe they don't feature this player potentially. Like there are some drawbacks. That's the reason why his ADP is not as high as it is. Cause it's like, he's, he should be locked and loaded to be the, you know, the pseudo bell cow in Miami. And I guess it's like, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for the coaches to like say to us when we talk about how coaches lie all the time? It's like, I think they told us how they feel about him when they didn't draft a running back. They didn't add anyone except Malcolm Brown and Jared Dokes, who they drafted in the seventh round. And when they played him last year, 18.3 touches per game, he has COVID comes back in the lineup, 75% snap share, 19 touches. So it seems like whenever they had a bit him available, they're like, no, like he is our guy. And you know, we're not going to get any, you know, Brian Flores from New England tree is not going to come out and say, yep, my Miles Gaskin is at the bell cow back. He's going to get the three down roll workload. That's never going to happen. So if that's what you're waiting for, like, sorry to break the news, it's not going to happen. Like you need to read between the moves that the Dolphins have made and every move that they've made has indicated to us. And maybe I I'm guilty of this too. Like I haven't drafted a lot of Gaskin because I'm hesitant because I'm like, oh, like, is it too good to be true? But it's like, <laughs> It, I think it's just what the reality of it is. It's he is the starting running back for the Miami dolphins. And we should be embracing that as part of his role. I get there's concern about Malcolm Brown potentially working in at the goal line, but look, and this kind of goes with the chase Edmonds thing as well with the goal line stuff. It's like, look, people like there are only so many opportunities where they're at the goal line, where they have to choose a running back to actually get the touchdown. So I want, you want to look at running backs that catch passes. Like, I think that needs to be a priority over the fact that, oh, is the, the goal line back. Like, what we know about Miles Gaskin is he's an elite running back receiver. You know, he was one of the better receivers last year in terms of yards per route run, only second to Alvin Kamara. And that role doesn't seem like it's going to change at all whatsoever. Like, why would, like, Malcolm Brown's not going to come in and demand a higher target share than Miles Gaskin? He's good, pass blocker. He did everything that he had to do last year to show up. Again, in Dynasty, it's a different question. I think yeah. that there is some long term question marks about him, but I think for this season, like, if you need a running back that has the potential to be a top 12 guy, like he was last year, basically when he got the work, I think miles Gaskin is emerging as a sneaky value that I think not enough people are giving credit for. If Malcolm Brown is the only problem we have in a backfield, like that's fine. We'll take that. <laughs> that's, Again, not a pro- that's not a problem. <laughs> every backfield other than Carolina, New York, when Saquon's fully healthy and Dallas to an extent, but even Pollard's getting enough snaps these days, they're all two RB backfield these days. So when one of them is a guy that could never even seize a three down role for more than a week with his former employer, not something we need to be worrying about with this new one. So Andrew takes us right to the over under over is set at 9.5 with a minus 125 lean. What are you taking? Going to go with the the under on the Miami Dolphins. I think that their defense is a little overrated, especially if they don't have Howard. I think that makes a big deal. Because again, if you just have one like shutdown corner, it's not always enough. Like you need to have the two guys, especially with how much man coverage they play. Like if they don't have a corner on the other side of Byron Jones that can cover, like they're going to get cooked consistently. And then it's going to be up to two in the offense, like maybe pick up more slack than they were anticipating. 
Yeah, I think it's a good line. I would lean towards the under as well. I mean, this division should just be a lot better. I mean, I think the Patriots are going to be more competitive. The Jets, you know, it'd be hard for them not to be a little bit more competitive you know, <laughs> in terms of what they've been doing. And Tua could be, I mean, what, he's the third best QB, second best QB in this division, maybe? Certainly yeah, I mean, one. I mean, yeah, it's not one. Like it's Josh Allen is number one. And then really, I guess, I mean, it could be, we have like be two to four. We don't really know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, Waddle, what the teammates said that Mac was better than Tua. If we want to <laughs> so, go yeah, down yeah. that road and Zach Wilson <laughs> plays like a number two overall pick, it's possible is all I'm saying. So when we're going, you know, double digit wins and we got to kind of worry about, wait, do we maybe have the worst quarterback in the division on this team? Yeah. That's why I would take the under before we move on to new England Patriots people. I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to some of our sponsors because support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered looks for your family jewels manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 join over 2 million men worldwide who trust manscaped this exclusive offer for you 20 off and free worldwide shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off of free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF, unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. God, I can never keep a straight face during that read. I love you though, Manscaped. Thanks for uh, keeping the boys safe as you put it. Now, Andrew, Let's move on to the main event. You've had boots on the ground all week in training camp. It's the New England Patriots. You got your Flash Gordon jersey hanging in the background. I love it. Josh Gordon, you know, always cheering for you, man. What's your defining question for the 2021 Patriots? And yeah, let's talk some quarterback. Who is Q- QB1 for the New England Patriots? Is it Cam Newton or is it Mac Jones? And all indications that I've noticed just watching the two quarterbacks play and even taking into consideration what Bill Belichick has said about Cam Newton being their qu- quarterback, like, yeah, he's going to start week one. Like, so you need to take that into consideration when you're drafting Patriots players or investing any type of draft capital into the Patriots is that Cam Newton is going to be the quarterback to start the year. And it's really going to be Cam succeeding that keeps him in the lineup. But if he falters, then I would assume that they're going to go to Mac Jones at some point during the season. So you can at least rest your laurels on, okay, well, a better Cam is going to be helpful for all offenses pieces involved anyway because if he's not playing well, they're going to go to Mac Jones, which in that case would also be good for the offense overall, because you're going to see more passing volume with Mac Jones on our center, just because the Patriots ran the ball so much last year, because that's all they really had at the disposal. Like they had no receivers to throw to, they had no tight ends. So the only thing Belichick could do is like build an offense around Cam Newton's running ability and their offensive line and the running backs, because that was their strength at the time that they were doing last year. So I think that, the offense is just being undervalued. Again, it's not an offense that is going to be above average in passing efficiency or anything like that, but I doubt we're going to see them basically rank dead last across the board. And basically every passing statistic Again, like 11 touchdowns last year is like absolutely ridiculous. I don't think that's going to happen again in 2021. And again, one thing to notice that it kind of stood out to me about them was the Patriots have always traditionally ran really fast. Like they've always tried to run a lot of plays per game. That was how they did it with Tom Brady. And that's why they were able to generate a lot of opportunities for their skill players. So last year they finished 29th in plays per game, but they finished fourth in plays per drive. So they were actually running a lot of plays on a per drive basis. The problem was they literally couldn't convert any first downs because they're always running the football and they couldn't convert any first down. So 
more efficiency from the additional pass catches they've added. I think if this office is going to be significantly better than it was last year, whether it's an improved cam because he has better weapons around him or it's Mac Jones, a little bit more passing volume. So the fact that basically every Patriots player is free, I think is a good potential to scoop up value. Great points all around over under 10 stars for Mac Jones this year. I'll go under. Wow. I think he's out there before the end of September, man. I know we got Belichick's and cams are starting QB at the moment, but similar to Sam Fran, I just don't think he draft this different of a quarterback to have them sit on the bench. I mean, we've already got word that Trey Lance is running, you know, his read options. And I'm sure the offense is looking different at Patriots cam when Mac Jones is under center versus Cam Newton. And I mean, I know people in draft Twitter and just general football Twitter aren't very high on Mac Jones. He was just a 15th overall pick. So we're five spots away from, you know, the top 10 uh, history. But as we've seen with that, you don't usually see quarterbacks pick in the top half of the first round and then sit on the bench. So Cam Newton, man, he's coming out saying he's not going to be used as a battering ram really anymore. That's problematic. That's the best part of Cam's game at this point in his career. And maybe Henry, Donu, Aguilar, Bourne, all these guys can step up. But I just think that Mac Jones, man, might just have that ability to run this offense a little better than Cam at this stage in their career. I hope I'm wrong. Nothing would make me happier other than maybe like Chris Herndon scoring 10 touchdowns. (laughs) Nothing would make me happier than like Cam Newton having just the comeback season for the ages. You know, basically what he gave us against the Seahawks for like 17 games. That would be awesome. And we'll jump on, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get on the bandwagon before it's too late. If that happens, believe me, just saying gun to my head. I do think Mac Jones starts the majority of games for the new England Patriots, which is good news for all the pass catchers involved and potentially my most underutilized player who could just be Damian Harris people. Only Derek Henry and Dalvin cook had a higher PFF rushing grade than Damian Harris last year. Five yards per carry, three yards after contact per carry, 12th in yards before contact percentage. Every stat you pull up with this guy that just kind of seems to indicate, you know, being good because it's always tough to just tell, you know, how much is an RB and how much is the offensive line or the scheme and this and that. It seems like Harris is a perfect marriage between what the Patriots want to do and just him being a pretty damn good running back in his own right. We've heard as much from Belichick already saying that Harris is in a position to be the main guy, which was not the case last year. We still need Sony Michelle to be out of the picture. And it is, you know, we've heard throughout the offseason that he is a, you know, heavy cut candidate by the time September comes wrong, comes along. Ramondre Stevenson is already. Uh, on the NFI list, so he's seemingly not in the picture at the moment. And after that, we're taking away the battering ram Cam Newton at the goal line, and we got a more of a pocket passer under center sooner rather than later at Mac Jones. Damon Harris is right there with Zach Moss, I think, in that kind of RB3 range where an RB2 finish is certainly in their potential range of outcomes. So are you with me on the Harris train, Andrew, or do you have another most underutilized player to jabber about? I'm with you on the Harris train. He's been the player that has definitely been the lead running back in all the drills that I watched at Patriots training camp last week. He was the lead guy, always the first one getting the carries at the goal line, doing the running back drills. He was always in the lead. So you can tell that there's a difference between him and Sony Michelle, Ramondre Stevenson, all those other types of guys. Yeah. Sony Michelle is, is returning kicks. So that kind of tells you like how they're viewing him in the offense. Like getting demoted to special teams is never really a good sign that you have like a locked and loaded role on the offense. And I think that Michelle, like, because Ramondre Stevenson was on the NFI list, who's been recently activated off of it. I think they want to see what they have in him first before they make a decision on Michelle. They want to make sure that like, okay, like this guy like gets it. Like he's a, like a legitimate football player. Cause again, you draft these guys and sometimes it's like, wait, like who is this dude? Like what happened? So I think they're doing their due diligence with Ramondre Stevenson before they make a decision on Sony Michelle. So I'm with you there that I don't think Michelle is going to be really involved at, at all whatsoever. So yes, Harris again, last year, 
He had 300 yard rushing games on an average of a 39% snap share. Like he doesn't even necessarily like, we don't need like an Ezekiel Elliott workload for Damian Harris to be productive. Like when he plays and gets snaps, like he gets touches. So in those games, he's averaging a 39% snap share. He averaged 18 touches per game. Like, like when he's in the game, he's getting the ball. So I think that's really important to indicate. And they have a really strong offensive line, third best offensive line. And it's not necessarily just the cam effect either. At first, that's what I thought because, you know, having the mobile quarterback usually does increase the efficiency output of the running back position. But, but Damon Harris's numbers did not change at all. When cam wasn't even in the lineup, like he was still well over five yards per carry, very efficient running back. So it's just kind of credit to him and how efficient of a running back he is again, Pass catching is something that we would just pray for him to get. And with Cam Newton, it's tough to bake it in, even though I've seen him catch some nice passes at that training camp, like most running backs usually do. <laughs> the only thing is we can at least bank on that happening with Mac Jones, a quarterback, like for sure. We're going to see Harris use way more in the passing game with Jones uh, taking snaps. Please new England, just give us one running back. <laughs> all these years, all these three, four back committees, just give us Damian Harris and Damian Harris only takes us right into our favorite fantasy value. I'm going elsewhere. I do think Harris is a quality value. And if he's your answer for this, I won't disagree with you, but Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar, just where they are ranked makes no sense. And I didn't even think I was high on these guys until I took my rankings and just looked against ADP and you know, no, I don't think 65 or 70 receivers should be ranked ahead of these guys. I don't exactly have them too far or you know, outside my top 40, top 50 range. And I just think that the market is just underestimating what seems to be the clear cut top two wide receivers on an offense that, like you said, should be passing the ball a little bit more often in 2021, almost regardless of who is under center and particularly. So if Michael McCorkle Jones ends up winning that job. So, you know, Aguilar, someone that people love to just, you know, hold the dropping babies, Jeff against this guy. And he continues to fall in drafts because of that was awesome with the Raiders last year, truly as a downfield threat. We also saw him be a great yak guy with Philly. I mean, I don't think the Patriots would just hand out 27 million to the guy, not expect him to give them anything and then with Jacoby Myers like really was the best wide receiver on the Patriots last year wouldn't you know be that far outside the realm of imagination to believe he could be the number one target getter on this offense when it's all said and done so when you look at these later rounds of the drafts where Myers and Aguilar are going like you don't see wide receivers that have a chance to lead their team in targets it's like will this guy be the, even in his offense's trio of starting wide receivers Myers and Aguilar check those boxes and I think where they're going at the end of drafts they make a lot of sense I'm pretty much any roster construction. What say you, Andrew? I could not agree more with that take with Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar. And I think that for me, I I do lean towards Jacoby Myers being the one I want to target. Again, you hit the point on Aguilar and how they paid it. And again, they're both undervalued because they were both very good last year when the situations they were in, but the way that the Patriots have used Aguilar and Jacoby, like Myers definitely profiles as the player that I think we can lock in for the most targets in the offense because he's going to be more around the line of scrimmage. He's not going to be used deep as much. And I don't know how aggressive the Patriots offense is going to be, whether it's Cam or Mac Jones. I don't necessarily think they want to like be super aggressive targeting the ball downfield. They want to run the football and they want to use the tight ends underneath. Like, so there's going to be a lot of games with Aguilar where he does nothing. Like he's just a decoy, but he's going to also have games where splash potentials there. The big play upside is there. And that's probably why when you hear beat reports about the Patriots receivers, like Aguilar is going to get the most praise because he's getting the, the sexy, you know, downfield looks like none of none of the other receivers, like really run downfield because that's not their strength. Whereas Meyer. So it's like, you know, Aguilar wins with speed. 
Jacoby Myers wins with separation and then Nikhil Harry just, just doesn't win at all. Like, like that's like the three ways to kind of look at the, the pecking order of these receivers. So for me, I prefer Myers in a vacuum or just in a draft because I think the targets are going to be there for him. But I think Aguilar is, has the big playoffs. I mean, Myers, what 12th in yards per route run last year, 13th in target rate per route run 20th in PFF receiving grade. And the thing that's crazy about him is if you look at Jacoby Myers season long numbers against Brandon Ayuk, they're like almost exactly the same, like across the board. And it's, it's wild because you're like, whoa, like Brandon, Ayuk's like a fifth round pick. I'm just like, yeah, like it's exactly the same. And their situations really aren't that different because, you know, Ayuk's numbers got a boost from all the injuries. And that's the same thing that happened with Jacoby Myers was they didn't have anyone else to throw the ball to. So he got inputted and he performed. So I think that Myers, again, I'm not saying Myers is better than Brandon Ayuk. I'm not saying that. (laughs) But what I'm saying is Jacoby Myers has a much higher ceiling than his we know ADP of like 60 would indicate this opportunity by you to not throw it and he can pass in there, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll improve. We're still in August for him. We got, we got a while to go to get to September brings us right to our wild card scenario. I'm saying there is a chance I'll be a small one. Hunter Henry and John Smith both finish as tight end ones. Andrew, one takeaway you had from training camp was that it looks like Henry will be in the Gronk role, which means Johnny will be more in that slash, you know, maybe put him in the backfield sometimes, maybe keeping him in line out in the slot, just more of the Aaron Hernandez role from we saw in the past and there have been two offenses to do this to have two top 12 tight ends in the same season 2011 patriots with grok and hernandez in the 2018 maybe 2019 eagles with Ertz and goddard and that one was funky it was almost more because like Ertz got hurt for a little bit and goddard got hurt for a little bit and they were both were just completely balling out when the other was sidelined so the patriots are really the only offense that we've seen constantly utilize two guys with great success and you know they just paid these guys the two largest contracts that we've seen from, you know, free agent tight ends, if not ever, at least in the, you know, the better part of the last uh, 10 years. And just, again, looking at an offense where the only receivers are Myers and Aguilar. And if we are throwing the ball more with Mac Jones under center, it's possible. Now, I don't think that there's upside, enough upside for them to, you know, crack top five, top six without an injury to either one. But we don't have to get them at that. I mean, it's been really pleasant to see where you can get John and Henry in drafts and that includes dynasty and redraft alike. I mean, if these guys are going, we have guys that we know can produce tight end one value. It's just a matter of opportunity. And when we're getting them, you know, in the mid parts of, you know, the tight end two landscape, that that's a ticket I'm down to, I'm down to take a chance on. So Henry and John, both finishing as tight end ones probably won't happen, but you can imagine, Andrew, what's your wild card. I mean, I, I like so yeah, I talked about the tight ends here as well. I like the call that you made making them both tight end one options because we look for opportunity with tight end position. That's like the biggest thing. We can't find offense. Like offenses sometimes don't use tight ends at all. Like that's why it's so hard for us to pinpoint tight end or late round tight end options. But that's the fact with the Patriots. Like they spent $85 million to get these guys on the team. They're going to be featured assets. And I get, we have these late round tight ends that we love, like the Adam Troutman, Gerald Everett's like, and on paper, it's like, Oh, they got a clear path to opportunity. Like look at the target pecking order, but these guys are going to be, these guys can be one, two in terms of targets on this offense. And that would really surprise nobody. And I don't think that's being considered whatsoever. Like we're trying to pinpoint, you know, Aguilar or Myers as like the team target leader. Like who's to say like, okay, well, they're just throwing it to Hunter Henry and John Smith, like all game long because they paid both players and they want to build a tight end offense around these two guys. So that's why I think that the upside is there for them. And especially like you said, like injuries happen. So the minute that one of them goes down, it's like, oh shit, like I now have a top five tight end. That's a featured part of the new England offense. And 
they're both going outside the, the top 15 at the position. Like you have to be above ADP on both Patriots tight ends. Like you don't necessarily need to like know exactly which one it's going to be, but the fact that they're both going to, are they both going to finish outside the top 15 as featured players on their offense? Like, I don't think that's possible. So I think that I want to buy both Patriots tight ends again. Ideally, I'd like to get a tight end early in my draft, but if you were looking for a late round, again, like, like they shouldn't be late round tight ends Cole, because they're established guys that are featured parts of their offense. So I think that both are being really undervalued and it's because the market can't figure out which one, but it's like, look, you don't need to figure out which one, just pick one, get it late and reap the benefits. Usually in a situation like this, I would, I would say like the answer to Henry versus John, who might just be no. Maybe the answer is yes, Andrew. It's just yes. Take, yes. take John, take Henry, take them both. Who sees? We are, you know, we, we, we meet on Wednesdays. We have our, you know, I own John and Henry on the same dynasty team uh, <laughs> meetings. You, me, and a couple other poor souls throughout the industry. So we'll see how this uh, conversation looks in about uh, six months. But, you know, we're betting on great players that in the team that has a hell of a lot of money invested in their success. We will see what happens. Takes us right to the over-under. We got a slight lean on the under 9.5 minus 130 for reference Patriots went seven to nine last season, you know, a drop off to what we saw with Brady, obviously, but I still think fairly impressive all things considered, but how disastrous this offense looked at time. What say you, Andrew over under 9.5. I mean, I'm obviously going over. So the home, the Homer, Homer, pick. Homer in here. All right. <laughs> I would go a little bit under here. I do think the bills are fairly clearly best team in division. Are the Patriots second or third? I, I don't really know. I would, you know, say they have a slightly better chance than the dolphins, but to me, 9.5 just seems a little high. If that was even nine or 8.5, I'd be more down to take the over, but either way we're looking at, unfortunately, you know, the worst version of cam we've seen in quite some time and, or a rookie QB who, Hey, maybe Mac Jones has a great career would hardly be the first quarterback to maybe struggle year one before going on and do some better things now for the alleged main event at least we can just call them the last team in this uh, podcast the new york jets andrew we got a new quarterback under center it's 22 year old zach wilson ready to be the next great rookie qb or are we about to watch yet another jet signal caller flame out in you know hilarious atrocious fashion whatever you want to call it well the fact that it took them forever to get him to freaking show up to training camp was a big issue. It's like week one or like the first day of training camp, we got Mike white and James Morgan, two guys who have never played in the NFL before, like taking snaps with the first team offense, not ideal situation, but Zach Wilson is in there. I mean, he's making the laser beam throws that we all saw him do at BYU last year. Like he's got a lot of upside and potential as this, you know, with the arm talent that he possesses, it's just a matter of like, yes, he's a bit smaller. How is he going to do with more pressure and how is he going to do against increased competition? So again, I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains with Zach Wilson, but I think it does the jets. It would do them justice to just let him throw the ball. Like just get him as many reps as possible. Like kind of like what they did with Joe Burrow last year. Just like let him throw the ball. Let him learn from his mistakes. Like who cares? Like you're not trying to win games right now as a Jets organization. You're trying to establish, Hey, this is our quarterback of the future. So again, I don't think that Zach Wilson necessarily is going to be a fantasy viable option, especially again, it's going to depend on matchups. Probably like if he has a good matchup, maybe you can stream him, but I at least think that he can, make some of his options on his team some of these players some of the jets offensive skill players actually usable unlike last year where it was okay do you want to start frank gore and get 15 for 50 yards or do you want to chase all these denzel mims air yards that are going to lead to literally nothing like that was the issue last year we had nothing like you couldn't play any jets players i think at least having zach wilson gives us a semblance of a chance of potentially using a jets player in a lineup i mean he was awesome 
at BYU. I know it was only one year. I know the competition wasn't good, but overall passing grade, 95.5. Intermediate throws, 93.9. Deep balls, 99.9. The big red flag was pressure. But we see every, unless your name is Justin Herbert, only in one year as a rookie, you're always worse under pressure than you are as a, you know, kept clean. And we see stable metrics being more kept clean. 96.5 PFF grade when kept clean, 74.1 under pressure. So can the Jets keep him upright? You know, probably not. It doesn't look great. We do have some concerns about the size. And I mean, I get it. There's uh, you know, certainly we didn't see him exactly rise to the occasion, but with that said, I mean, I watched that coastal Carolina game, even though that was his toughest test and his numbers were incredible, man. Oh man. Just some of the throws he made in that last drive alone. I mean, I, it can go both ways, man. He wasn't playing the greatest competition, but let's not act like while wow, he was, you know, playing alongside some maybe older players uh, in that BYU team full of Mormons. I do think that, you know, it's also not like he was stoned to just, you know, one stud future NFL wide receiver after another. So we'll see what Wilson, I'm really excited to see him in preseason. They're just the first couple of weeks because he kind of fits this year's mold of the quarterback that a lot of people have been quick to write off. And as we saw with Josh Allen, with Daniel Jones and some of these other rookies, like you don't have to be a great real life quarterback as a rookie to necessarily be a great fancy one. We do know Wilson has the mobility in him to potentially give us that rushing floor, whether or not he'll, uh, you know, make a habit of doing that at a high level remains to be seen. Now, on to most underutilized player. Who else would it be than my guy, Chris Herndon? Jets, tight end two now behind Tyler Croft. People, quit tagging me when they announce Tyler Croft is the starting tight end now in New York. I know. I've cried about it several times already. You don't need to keep tagging me with it. I just want to say one big thing before Andrew gets on to maybe a more serious uh you know, player for this group, but this is why I was, and, you know, maybe could still be high on Herndon in the future because people here are the only rookie tight ends to average at least nine yards per target since 2000, Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, and Chris Herndon. That's it. Now here's the list of guys that average over eight yards per target, including them, them obviously Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Noah Fant, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle. So yeah, I get it. Herndon is now the, you know, black thumb exception on this list of otherwise stud tight ends. But that was where I was coming from in an offense with no established number one. When we had Adam Gase could not stop saying good things about Chris Herndon, the entirety of last training camp. But alas, here we are 2021 Chris Herndon jets tight end two. And my final note is that he only had two games, more than five targets last year in those games, seven catches, 63 yards and a touchdown, six catches, 37 yards. I don't know, man. Sam Donald sure seems to get a lot of uh, praise in the media with saying, oh, he can be great after he gets away from Adam Gase. Don't see the same sort of, you know, initiative given to my guy, Chris Herndon. So something about these Miami uh, Hurricanes tight ends, man. Herndon, David Njoku, David Njoku, just can't get the opportunity. Maybe we can get them both uh, in Seattle or Russell Wilson soon enough. And, you know, Herndon, Njoku, each getting 10 touchdowns a year. Sign me up for that uh, version of the simulation we happen to live in. But now that people are, again, pissed off me for telling them to draft Herndon last year, Andrew, who was your most underutilized player on the 2021 jets denzel mims now running with the third team offense you'll love to see again in, in june it was running he was running with the second team in mini camps we're like okay like that's something to pay attention to maybe it's not a death note for denzel mims and now we're getting reports okay now he's with the third team offense this is like not going in the right trajectory that we want and it's unfortunate for mims because he has the profile of an alpha wide receiver six foot three 215 pounds and Last year, his peripheral numbers really aren't even that bad. PFF receiving grade, 70.4 ranked fifth best in the draft class starting week seven when Mims kind of finally started playing after he was hurt to start the year. Finished second on the team in air yard share and deep targets despite only playing in nine games. 
His catchable target rate ranked third worst in the league behind only AJ Green and teammate Jeff Smith. So again, he didn't have an opportunity to put up any type of numbers in the offense because the quarterback play was so atrocious last year. And I don't know if the new coaching staff is holding that against him or whatever. Like he's just not, he's not impressing them again. He's not attached to the new coaching staff. So that's why they're kind of prioritizing their guys. The Elijah Moore's, the Keelan Coles, Jameson Crowder, like they're prioritizing those guys over Denzel Mims when I mean, Mims, man, 438, 40-yard dash at the 2020 combine at six foot three and 215 pounds is like, that's a size speed specimen that you want posting up at X and they're just not using him. So it's unfortunate for Mims. Maybe he'll get traded to a different team that needs a perimeter wide receiver. I'm not totally out on Mims as a potential player. If an injury happens, then I would be, okay, like Mims is going to have to, they're going to have to use him now. Like I think that he could produce if he actually got playing time. But for right now, it's like, as long as he's with the third, third team offense like you can't you can't draft Enzo Mims because he's just not going to play we're one dope preseason catch away from just a flurry of free Denzel Mims uh, <laughs> tweets going on. I'm here for it, man. Yeah, he was injured last year, didn't get much of a chance in a bad offense, and now it's looking like he's not going to in another offense that just unfortunately really loaded up at receiver as they underwent, you know, a new a new change in the front office and coaching staff alike. So come on, Denzel, we're rooting for you, man, just like we do every NFL player. But yeah, I hate to see when you know these uh, you know just guys that you know are kind of getting pushed out when they really haven't done anything wrong on the field because they have got a chance to do so uh regardless so moving on favorite fantasy value i'm going with tevin coleman here it's just straight up because of opportunity i mean i did an article a couple weeks ago looking at some potential sleeper rbs basically i just took pff's projections which you know we've, we've talked about this plenty where projections shouldn't necessarily be your rankings we want guys that can give us plus weeks but with that said we also want to make sure we're not too far off base in terms of projected workload and from taking the difference in ADP and just the projected workload and the fantasy points we could expect from that. Tevin Coleman popped as by far the biggest riser of any of these guys. Some other candidates were James White, Daryl Williams, Kenyon Drake, Devin Singletary, Jamal Williams, and DeAndre Swift. So, you know, a mix of good and bad. Coleman's certainly one of those guys that I'm not saying will be an RB2, but I don't know if I can name 50 RBs I'd rather have than him like a lot of people can, man, because Coleman as much as people wanted to say he's dust from looking at him at the 49ers over the past two years, like let's see what a healthy version of Coleman could maybe look like in this offense. You know, for every nice tweet about Michael Carter having a good run training camp, there's usually another one about Coleman coming right, right after it. We've had a, uh, you know, reports that he has the early edge in the Jets backfield competition all throughout the offseason. obviously familiarity with offensive coordinator, Michael LaFleur being the main point there, but just realize people in 2019, he played 18 snaps before suffering a grade three high ankle sprain. In 2020, he had a knee patella sprain after playing 36 snaps. Both things sound incredibly painful. Credit to Coleman for playing through it as well as he could. He played through a dislocated shoulder in the Super Bowl. Like, this guy has done nothing except play through the pain for the past two years. He always looked great in Atlanta. We always, you know, when he went to the Shanahan system, just like with Jarek McKinnon, we were all freaking out. Now, after the fact, we just try to say the running back sucked. He's been hurt, and that's all it's been. So, it's an uncertain backfield. The fact Michael Carter is going as a top 30 back is absolutely wild to me because we don't know what it's going to look like. Even if Michael Carter starts the season, like look at these running backs rooms, man, look at Tampa Bay. Like if I told you two years ago that Ronald Jones was going to be the starting Tampa Bay Buccaneers back, 
Like, what would that even mean? None of their backs had over 40% of the snaps. And I know they're coming from the Shanny scheme. Guess what? The Shanny scheme has consisted of several running backs in the most recent editions of it. So to me, just the disparity between Coleman and Michael Carter is way too big. And I'm not quite willing to write off Coleman yet as someone that's just bad enough at football that we can't get on the squad. So, you know, Michael Carter, maybe he's the real deal, but we're still talking about a fourth round rookie and an offense that, you know, he probably doesn't have the edge in considering Coleman's familiarity with the system. So, you know, Hey, you're not going to lose your draft by taking Tevin Coleman around 13, 14, wherever he's going. If you need a running back and you just need touches, he might be your guy. I mean, week one, they play the Carolina Panthers who have been known to have an atrocious run defense. And I'm pretty sure the last time Tevin Coleman played the Panthers scored like three touchdowns, four, <laughs> four touchdowns. Back, exactly. in the day, back in the day when my helicopters were flying and not crashing. That was great. <laughs> he had a massive game. And that could be the scenario. Like, Ian, you're not going to be surprised if Tevin Coleman scores two rushing touchdowns in week one because they just use him at the goal line. Like, that's that's definitely in his range of outcomes. So I agree with that. If you because you, you can get him with the last round pick, it's like, oh man, like I'm really deep at or I'm weak at running back. I drafted Saquon Barkley. Does it look like he's going to play? Oh, like Tevin Coleman. Like, oh, boom, I can enter him in RB two. You're locked and loaded to go for me. Every time I check out this guy's ADP, it just continues to drop. And I just, I just don't know why. So it's Corey Davis. He's at ADP wide receiver 53. And it's, it just keeps going down. It was like two months ago when I wrote up his value, it was like wide receiver 45. And then a couple of weeks ago, it was wide receiver 50. And now it's, and now it's wide receiver 53. Like guys, like I don't even love Corey Davis in the jets. Like I don't love him as a number one wide receiver. Like I was, I was the first thing I did when he got traded or when he signed with the jets, I write, I wrote about how I was down on him. I was like, not. No, I'm not loving this spot for him. I don't think he can really be a true number one receiver. And then just everyone was like, yeah, like we don't want to draft him either. So he's going to be wide receiver 53 again, career year last year, 16 yards per route run. And he projects to be the number one target in the team's passing game. Like they've talked about having a, basically a rotating carousel. The Jets beat reporters about with Elijah Moore, with Jameson Crowder, with Keelan Cole, but the staple has been Corey Davis is the team's number one wide receiver. Like he's going to be on the field all the time. And like, I love Elijah Moore. Like, I think that he's really exciting rookie player, but if you just want to lock in the targets of consistency, it's going to be Corey Davis. Like there's no one that's profiles as the leader of his team and targets that you can get cheaper than Corey Davis at his price. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And again, this is why it's important to take ADP and price into context because I talked about, I didn't like Corey Davis. I, I didn't, but at this price, like you have to love it. <laughs> like you have to, you have to change your stance and be like, no, I need to be open to using this type of player. And again, it's not, the, these aren't the jets from last year. Like Zach Wilson presents so much more upside to this offense as a black guy that can just throw downfield, throw at the intermediate level. That's where Corey Davis succeeded last year. PFF's 10th highest grade receiver when targeted between 10 and 19 yards. And that's where Zach Wilson made a lot of his heyday last year at BYU. So I think it's a good fit three-year, $38 million contract for Corey Davis of the Jets. He's going to be on the field and he's going to get targets. So uh, yeah, 53 is way too low for Corey Davis. 27 million guaranteed. They signed <laughs> this guy to be their number one receiver. And Elijah Moore very well could be awesome. But right now he is working behind Keelan Cole on the second team offense. And I see people jumping through these hoops talking about like, oh, well, there's these certain plays they designed for Elijah Moore. Like they're trying to actively get him the ball. Corey Davis is the starting number one wide receiver for the Jets right now. Like, I hope they get Elijah Moore the ball too. They should, but gun to your head between who gets more targets 
targets this year, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. I don't know how anybody could say Moore should be the favorite for that. And now they're going right next to each other in these fantasy drafts. So you brought up earlier how Brandon Ayuk and Jacoby Myers had, you know, if you just remove the names and look at their efficiency numbers, pretty much the same player last year. The same thing is true for Corey Davis and freaking Julio Jones. So I understand that, you know, it was annoying last year. Every time Corey Davis should have a couple good games, we finally feel confident starting them. He goose egged on us against the Bears. And then I think against the Packers as well in that uh, snow game. So yeah, he burned us a couple times. He's not, he's not as good as he was, you know, drafted to be at the number five overall pick still a quality receiver that again, going outside the top 50, like that's all you need to know. No, we wouldn't be taking him inside the top 30. We don't have to. So yeah, go get arguably the cheapest number one receiver in fantasy football, uh, aside from the Patriots situation. So I like it. That was my wild card scenario. Just Corey Davis or Elijah Moore taking the hell over. And yeah, man, gun to my head. I do think I would have to go with Corey. Do you have a wild card scenario you want to end us on Andrew? Yes. And I think it just goes back. It kind of ties into the Tevin Coleman situation where Kyle Shanahan, this type of offensive scheme has been frustrating for fantasy managers because they just use running backs all the time. They just like churn through different running backs. So while Michael Carter is viewed as the top, the top guy, the lead dog, like Tevin Coleman's value because of that. And he could see more opportunities than Michael Carter from the get-go. And the same goes for Ty Johnson, like another running back who's gotten a lot of work with the team, with the, the ones. And he flashed last year. Again, I think that Ty Johnson has more juice than Tevin Coleman. Again, doesn't have the repertoire or like the understanding of the offense necessarily as Tevin Coleman. But look, man, he was 30 yards before contact last year behind only Raheem Mostert and J.K. Dobbins. So he knows under, he understands how to find lanes throughout the offensive line. He's a good rusher. He has pass catching upside. And like Tevin Coleman, he's free. Like both these two running backs are free at the end of the draft. So again, it's probably a better strategy just to take a stab on one of these Jets running backs, not named Michael Carter with your last pick, because chances are you could stumble into an RB one production in the 16th, 18th round of a draft. And you're going to be looking fine after that. Yeah. I, it's nothing against Michael Carter, but like this dude is being drafted as in a role that we have no idea. A, if he has, and B, if it even exists. Like, we don't know how this committee is going to shake out. Again, there's almost assuredly going to be two, if not three, backs involved. Hopefully, maybe Carter's the one at some point. We don't know. So don't draft him like he already is for sure. Andrew, the over-under is six. The under has a slight minus 120 lean. You back in the Jets to get seven wins this year. Can they do it? No, no, no. They have a freaking Lamar Jackson playing cornerback. They didn't draft a defensive player until the fifth round of the draft last year. Oh boy. The defense is so bad still. So Zach Wilson, like, I think that he can just put up garbage point numbers. So we'll like it for fantasy, but yeah, no, I'm out on this team winning a lot of games. Seems like I'm going to see one this low. I just kind of faded as a whole, but yeah, I'm, I can't back the jets to win more than six <laughs> games. Are you kidding me? I will take the under as well. And people that is going to bring our AFC East preview to a close before we get out of here though. I just want to point out that, Hey, it's fantasy football season. It's here and no one can prepare you better for your draft than PFF for just nine, 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 get access to PFF's fantasy football draft guide, player rankings and projections, all of PFF's locked article content, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft and more. Again, that's PFF's fantasy suite for just nine 99 draft smarter than your league mates this season. Andrew, before you get out of here, let's, just talk some Jonathan Taylor real quick. Cause that's on everyone's minds at the moment. And I'm not going to do a whole podcast on it, but for those that stuck around with us, the end, maybe we can go through it. So for me, here's my thoughts. Jonathan Taylor, I've had ranked as the RB 11 throughout this process. He's someone that's usually been going as the RB six RB seven. So if you had him that high, like you should 
you should have dropped him months ago when we were telling you guys the concerns about his workload because that's what it comes down to at running backs. It's their workload. The reason why Jonathan Taylor is a borderline RB1 is because Naeem Hines is, is, is always going to be getting a lot of targets, and Marlon Mack or Jordan Wilkins will probably be getting 15 to 20% snaps. And when you add those together, Taylor's right there with Derrick Henry needing to be as efficient as possible. So, you know, looking at it, like, okay, I might put Najee Harris ahead of him, maybe even like Gibson and Clyde. But to me, Taylor is still in the bottom of that range, like he's always been, where, okay, if you can get him in round two or three and close out your running back room with Taylor as your second running back, I think that's fantastic. Cause I've always been trying to get two of these top 14 running backs throughout the process and, you know, losing a guard as great as Quentin Nelson sucks losing once, even though we don't know what he was going to be sucks. But again, the Colts offensive line very well, still better than the Bengals and Steelers. And this is why, like, I just haven't been putting much into the offensive line stock throughout the offseason. It's always been more about the volume. So when things that don't really matter to his volume all that much come into play, I'm not freaking out and dropping this dude outside the top 14. So I know you have a, you know, strong quote going around that. No, you can't draft Taylor in the first round. I agree with that. I guess my point is you never should have been drafting Taylor in the first round in the first place. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely capitalizing on the news of the Quinn Nelson thing. But again, like I already had him outside the first round anyway. So he was my RB 12. So I have guys like Harris ahead of him. I have guys like Joe Mixon ahead of him. So again, maybe the, the Quentin Nelson thing would maybe move him down into like closer to the tier where I have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, where I have Antonio Gibbs. Actually, I already had him in that tier already. So yeah, I'm not going to end up moving him at all. Because like you said, you know, we're preaching the volume that matters more. And again, with the Carson Wentz thing, this offense is probably going to be at least average at best. Cause we also didn't know how good Carson Wentz was going to be like yeah. that, that was a big question mark. So again, like, I don't think you can project the Colts offense to be anything more than average. Like they could be an average offense. And I actually looked at it last uh, yesterday. I just looked at, okay. Like when they had Jacoby Brissett, you know, I'm trying to like, draw the closest comps so a backup quarterback, essentially at quarterback, you know, Marlon Mack was the touch leader in that offense. He averaged 18.7 touches per game. He had rushed for over a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, and he was an RB 24, like RB 23 finish. So he's a low end RB two. Again, Jonathan Taylor is more talented than Marlon Mack. So I'm not saying that he's going to be a low end RB two, but I'm just saying that even if Jonathan Taylor is flirting with 20 touches per game, seeing limited work in the passing game, and now you're playing on an average offense, like he has an RB two floor. Yes. But his ceiling, I don't think is a top five ceiling necessarily. So Again, I'm going to keep him as the RB12. And I think in the second round, I think it's it's fine to get him. And if he starts to fall into like the third round, like you said, because people are overreacting to the Quinton Nelson thing, like don't overreact to like, again, it's the combination between Wentz and Quinton Nelson. Now that people are going to kind of overreact a little bit when it's really like, okay, like the Wentz thing probably matters. This Quinton Nelson thing really doesn't matter as much because the volume is still going to be there and it doesn't. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. We all know Quentin Nelson is, if not the single best guard in the league, he's top three. He's still just a guard though. People, I love watching him, you know, screaming as he's pancaking guys as well, but look across the league. Like if we found out that Zach Martin was going to miss the first month of the season, would you be really shooting Zeke down the ranks? I don't think so. If we found out that, you know, the Steelers offensive line got even worse and it did get worse a couple months ago, nobody moved Najee Harris down like this, man. If the Bengals, they're a joke of a group already 
already and someone else, their center tears his ACL and he's out for the year. I don't think people are going to be running to shoot Joe Mixon down. And I realize without the receiving workload that Taylor, it would have been nice to have the better offensive line. But if he is as freaking good as all of you have been saying he is over the past six months, this should not be the thing that gets you off. So, you know, Taylor is someone that I've surprisingly kind of found myself getting more of in a dynasty than redraft throughout the whole offseason. So, no, now I might be down on him and redraft. Like, it sounds good to me, man. If I can start getting him as the borderline RB1, that again, we have treated him as throughout this entire process, that's where I'm in. The top six price was always egregious, and we told you it was always egregious. So, yeah, people are now moving him down the ranks. Just realize our ranks aren't moving all that much because I think the reasons why people had him so high in the first place just weren't really that good. Good talk, Andrew. Agreed. Yeah. So again, it's weird because again, like we, you and I have kind of been less on Jonathan Taylor. And now it seems like we're probably going to be end up being higher on Jonathan Taylor when the, the season actually finally starts to happen. So weird how the thing, so the cam Akers thing and now the Colts fall out. It's just, it's weird how things kind of align, but here we are. Say it every damn podcast. We don't hate players. We hate ADPs. So, you know, when Sam Dartle just, Balls out the first two weeks. He throws four touchdowns. Andrew and I are going to have to come back here and say, yeah, we're wrong on Darnold. And I'm just saying right now, I think the way people were evaluating Taylor was wrong. And I still do. That's why we're now back on him as the market is overcorrecting itself. Andrew, great stuff. We have just finished back-to-back podcasts. You have plenty of stuff going on in addition throughout this week. Team previews at PFF.com. New Sirius XM show. Everyone can hear Saturdays and Sundays. Anything else on the docket? Yes, the Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio Show is on Sirius 210 and XM 87. I didn't have the channel last time. I made sure I came prepared with it this time. But yeah, and then I'm doing a whole overhaul of the rankings, updates, tiered rankings. So tons of good stuff coming out next week. So it's going to be fun. Good stuff. As always, make sure you all check that out. You can find all the fantasy files, my solo podcast over here on the PFF fantasy football podcast. We've got about 17, 18 more to go people. So we'll have those going through about August 20th. Then we'll start to settle into our season schedule. I'm pretty pumped this year. One small change I'm going to be making for those that have been listening to podcasts since, you know, it got going the two July's ago. We've been going about over a year now. Good stuff. Uh, but yeah, during the season last year, I would stay up late after the Monday and Thursday night game, record those and pretty much just recap the game. We all watch those games. And I just, you know, what it makes sense for me to be breaking my back to stay up until you know 1 a.m which isn't that bad i'm not trying to say watching monday night football and talking about it's that hard of a job but i didn't think the podcast was as good as it could have been because i was just focusing on that so now this year monday we're going to be having more of a waiver wire centric podcast and thursday we're going to be looking at dfs more specifically so as always the goal hope you all win as much money as possible whatever fantasy format you're playing and i think making those changes will move us all closer to that goal so he's andrew erickson i'm Ian Hartz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. 